What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo, gig economy news and interviews, sponsored by Para and ParaWorks. I'm your host, SJ. It's time to get it on. done a lot of these on our streams. We've done a lot of um, uh, multi-person streams from different locations, but this is this is the first time I know of getting us all in one place at once. And I want to thank Stephanie. I want to thank uh, Senator Priola, who's going to be speaking as well, and he's also here. With Stephanie B. Heller, House Representative. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, basically some just basic gig worker rights and what's going on and why people should at least be aware. You know, you don't need to fully jump on board, but if you're doing this work, you should be aware because it's everywhere right now. So um, the first thing I wanted to do was uh, bring up David, uh, David from Para, and we're going to, we're going to talk about driver rights. Yeah, it's good right to it. All right, Oh, oh, we got speeded. <laughs> I forgot I was on order. Yes, first of all, I gotta bring Pedro. Oh, come here, Pedro. Come on. So we should run here. Yeah, I don't. So uh, for those of you, everybody knows Pedro probably watching the stream. But if you don't, this is Pedro. If you weren't at his event yesterday, he did an amazing job at his event too. We did. We did. We had two events in this town this weekend, and it's really nice to see this many people throw up. Show up. So I just wanted to uh, give Pedro the mic here and let him say a couple words because we spent a lot of time planning this. So. We did. We did. We, we spent. We spent a lot of time. Jonathan, uh, and Hannibal, uh, Jaywalk, uh, Sam, but the, uh, the website and all the people that we brought together today, yesterday, drivers, companies, content creators in the same room that might not have never been in the same room. They were able to connect together. Kim, Zach, Bentley. So it's really great. You know, we do these events every year. This is the third event we've done together. We did a virtual one in October of 2022. So we really care about drivers. And we, we want people to make money and provide for their families. And that's a big thing we're going to talk about today. Um, thank you for having me here. Um, this is, you know, has been amazing. So I really look forward to hearing people's perspectives and having some questions asked and answered. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, of course. So if you don't know David, David is the CEO um, and founder of Para, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about something that we've been working on for a while, the driver singular rights.org. Um, it's kind of like something we believe in since pretty much the time we met. So I want to say thank you to everyone for being here. Like really the whole point of this is to get a bunch of awesome people in a room who may or may not have the same opinions and everything, but I believe 
with the same, same goal, which is they want to make keyboard work. So really, I hope this is the first of a lot of these, but really the goal is to get all the right people here, and I could be excited to have everyone here. Yeah. Um, you know, we believe, I guess, at Para, I believe in with driverized movement, a couple very basic principles. So we believe that gig workers, most gig workers want to be independent contractors. But at the same time, that doesn't mean things can't be better or there are things that people are not unhappy about. So really that's, you know, a couple of basic principles. It's, I'm in charge of my work. I should have a say in my in, I should have a say in the system. Uh, my time is valuable. I should use the tools I want to run my own business. And those are the sort of very basic principles that we believe that the game platform should honor as to what it means to be an independent contractor. And I think we're super excited to talk through a lot of those today. We have different people talking on those different topics. And really, I think the other part to be here is just uh, really support step, right? So we have a gig worker who is representing gig workers, right? And that is not common, right? So, here's just to give her our love and support and propel her forward and hopefully use you know what Steph can do as an example for other cities, other states, and just have that as the beginning of a larger movement. So thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, now we're gonna have two other people come up. Um, first I'm have Zach come up. Uh, he's gonna talk about some of like some of the classic independent contractor we're allowed to use any tools at our disposal. The gig economy does not, it frowns on this, if not almost prevents it. And so Zach's gonna kind of talk about that. So Zach, you guys, if you don't know Zach, you, uh, Zach drives fast, so check him out. Hey, I'm gonna be here, it's good to see so many awesome faces. So many of you guys will meet for the first time. So many of you have seen on the internet. So it's, it's very, very cool to be in the same room with uh, some of the awesome folks we've seen online. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer to this question, but by a show of hands, how many of you feel that we are actually independent contractors? <laughs> That's not looking so good. I'm just looking at I'm in the same boat. Uh, I did some research before I came out, and the definition, according to the IRS, of an independent contractor is a person who completes a job with little to no oversight by the person assigning the work. So, by definition, sure, we're independent contractors, but we're independent contractors when it benefits the companies, not when it benefits us. When it comes to not paying benefits, we're independent contractors. When it comes to not reimbursing for gas, we're independent contractors. So, but, <laughs> when it comes to having all of the information that we need to make an informed decision, we're employees. And I am a firm believer that if we are going to agree to do a job, we have every right to know exactly what that's going to pay and where we're going to end up. And so frequently, that's with help from us. So never let a company dictate your safety or your bottom line. So, if there is a tool that you guys use, use it properly. Give, give yourself the, the advantage that they do not give us. And, you know, keep making your money. Be safe. So, what he said, um, 
And by the way, a uh, good friend of ours, too, uh, we got Kim coming up here. She's going to talk about uh, deactivations and what's going on here. So, Kim, <laughs> come on up. Okay. Hey, everyone. Those of you who don't know me, I am Kim on YouTube, known as Kim Side Money Plants. You know, through working with YouTube, no, I've never been deactivated, knock on wood, from any of these platforms. But I do have a voice. And when you get writers who get deactivated, what's the one thing that they do is they come to content creators because they want you to understand what they're going through. And usually for me, my heart just bleeds because someone just lost their income. And I think that's the biggest part of wrongful de deactivations is when you feel helpless because you don't have your income anymore and you have absolutely no clue why you got deactivated. And you just get that email saying you've been deactivated. And usually it comes under false pretenses of fraudulent or something to that. And when you go to fill it out the form for these deactivations, you're like, I don't even know what to put down because I don't even know why I'm deactivated. And then you go through support and it's scripted and you're like, I just want a human being telling me what I did because I want to fill out this form right. And it never happens that way. And I think there has to be a balance. Yes, some um, deactivations are legit <laughs> and they should stand. But this is really for a lot of the drivers out there who go out every single day and get that email. And we all have friends here in the YouTube community. And we all have a friend recently who did 21,000 deliveries and got deactivated and had no idea why. And that's just concerning because for me, I just reached 10,000 deliveries. So should I be concerned that I should be deactivated next? And you never know when it's coming. So, you know, I think you're gonna hear a lot today about transparency and these companies are very transparent with their drivers. And this is just another form of them not being transparent with why you're being deactivated. So I think going forward, you know, with people stepping in, there has to be that balance. And I think transparency, it has a lot to do with it so that way drivers really know. And, you know, it's a blessing to be an independent contractor. You know, I can be a present parent. I can be have the flexibility. And that's why I do what I do. So, you know, that's the blessing of being what we do. But the curse is also knowing that these companies sometimes take advantage of that and that they can really do whatever they want to do with the disguise of independent contractorship. So with one voice, several voices, hopefully thousand voices, we can all make a change for the better. And hopefully that starts here today. And thank you guys all for being here and being a part of this amazing event. Mm -hmm. You guys, I, I, this wasn't even this part wasn't even planned, but uh, yesterday I was watching his speech, and I, I'm so glad he made it because he represents a different community. Um, his channel is Delivery TV. Uh, I want to bring Louis up, so and let him say a few words. Well, what I was saying yesterday uh, is, before I came here, I asked my community, "What do you want me to to convey? What do you want me to?" And, I, and of course, I, I'm always receiving messages and emails. And as content creators, we, we received those messages. And we felt 
we feel the pain there. Um, we, we, as Kim was, was saying, we became an extension of customer support, of driver support in the in the YouTube channel. In my channel, I start receiving, of course, two dollar orders, the, the, the mileage, the, the problem, the activation. But there's a problem in the Hispanic community that is growing. And I want to share this with you, with the audience. And this is what I was sharing yesterday. Um, there's uh, two years ago, I started receiving videos, pictures, information, and I want to start begin saying that um, I know people need to put food in the table, and that, and some people don't have the ability to have an, 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 an app and register on an app, and that I understand, and and that problem is not new. What is new is gangs from other countries creating and, and robbing and, and, and obtaining databases to create accounts. And now there's a marketing place, there's a, mar there's a marketplace for uh, delivery uh, drivers' accounts. And you see in the Walmart, you see uh, you're waiting for an order, and you see four drivers taking orders and taking orders and taking orders, and you never receive orders because they now have technologies to block signals in the parking lot. And and we we are worried because who is the driver who is taking the order to cost to the customer house? Because um, in, 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 in in what I know, and I re I've been receiving, and I send this to the delivery apps, and I, we don't receive any answer. And, and solutions and basically what's going on is that we are watching these uh, dangerous people and people with criminal uh, backgrounds taking orders, robbing orders and, and robbing identities, social securities and 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 to 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 go to the point uh, and I was sharing an example yesterday. Um, working here okay here um, I was showing this example yesterday the problem here is uh, this is like a restaurant and a restaurant maybe needs 10, 10 waiters uh, but it, it, what is going on here is that uh, the owner of the restaurant hired a wait uh, a manager and the manager started uh, to hire waiters and waiters and waiters and waiters and and, and, and in a restaurant where you only need 10 waiters now you have 2,000 waiters and the managers are earning a percentage for each waiter. And it's damaging the identities, is that it's causing problems with the security and it's causing problems, financial problems with the community. So I think we need security and we need to do something uh, because the apps are not doing anything for the, for the security subject. So thank you very much. I thank you. you guys, and he represents an entire community. He's in Houston and uh, he deals with a lot of. Uh, Issues. Before I get to Stephanie, look out, people. Oh boy. <sighs> Sergio, come on. Yeah. <laughs> we got Sergio from the right here. Hey, everybody. Uh, am I the closer? Oh, no. no. Um, what, uh, Senator, are you all here? Is he listening? He's coming. He's coming. Is he coming? Oh, he's coming now. We've got a problem. Is he coming? Senator. Okay, so I'm Sergio with the Rache guy. I've been a senior contributor for the last five and a half years. New to YouTube, to all the content creators. By the way, it's great to see everybody in three dimension. You know, we always see him on the screen somehow, and we we think, you know, wow, this I want to meet this person one day and today and this weekend. 
Pedro, thank you so much yesterday, awesome event. But I want to thank, first of all, Steve, right here at Rodeo. I want to thank uh, David to create this opportunity. I think this is going to be an amazing bridge-building process when it comes to driver rights, basic driver rights. We're not asking for the order. And uh, Senator Priolo, thank you. And Stephanie, which I've spoken to before and had an interview with her on our channel. So my, my view of this is a little different. You know, I think the companies have proven over the last decade that they have created a sustainable business model for themselves. But I don't think the business model that most drivers are experiencing is sustainable. So as a driver of seven years on those eight platforms now, and it's going to be nine with Curry coming up. <laughs> and, and I think the trend, the earnings trend is not the driver's trend. Okay? And as a as a 20-year do what we have to do to be profitable because we're all small businesses. Now, I am thinking more like if they're sustainable and turning profitable now after a decade, which they are, we just announced that they turned profitable, first time in their history. And DoorDash is not too far behind. I'm just going to talk about these two companies. You know, they're the two big you know, gorillas in the, in the room. So if, if Uber is going to be profitable, I think they could share now some of the wealth with the drivers as far as the earnings trend is concerned. And as far as all the other things Kim talked about, not just the activations. That has to end. We cannot keep getting fired by AI bots. It's just, it's a, it's just there's no excuse for that. And as, as Zach talked about as well, you know, there are things that we can do, and we can start in a small basis, city by city. I don't believe federal government coming down and, and, and you know, codifying everybody as an employee is the answer to this, because then we're all going to suffer, okay? And we do our surveys at RSG, right here, guy. 75% of us want to stay independent contractors, but we want to be treated as independent contractors. We don't want these companies to have the cake and eat it too, which is what they're doing now. As Zach did, raise up hands. Who, who's, who, who thinks they're independent contractors? I don't think I saw one hand going up, right? Ron. So that's that say, Ron? Okay. I will close you later. <laughs> so, so, you know, one, when, when one hand doesn't go up, what does that mean? Does that mean we're all misclassified? Does that mean we don't want to be employees of these companies? Absolutely not, right? So we have to find a happy medium through legislation. And we have to start small. I mean, I have very good friends up in Washington State and Seattle that have a working model, sustainable model for everyone. Win-win-win situation. I implore all of you to go study that model because it's working. It's been there for three years, not three weeks. But it started in the city of Seattle and it grew to the state of Washington. Same thing is happening in Minneapolis. Hopefully it will grow into the state of Minnesota. We have to start small. We have to create small fires. And that all comes with all of this community coming together. Pedro, you know, all the other content creators. We need to have a united voice. Or the best you can do is educate your, your viewers. Inform your viewers. You know, getting in a car and doing... A little ride-along saying, oh, look, I made $300 today. 
I don't think legislatures are going to be interested in that. I think we need to have more substance. We need to create leaderships in each small town and city and go on from there. And I think this is a doable project. And so I told this to Stephanie. With everything I have, media contacts, platform, I'm going to give it as, as hard as a push as I can in the next six months to create some fair and just legislation. So, you know, thank you all for coming. I'll give it back to Steve. I think I think Sergio should do that. Yeah, Sergio, what did you want to talk about? Yeah, what what did you, did you want to talk about? What you did for the for the work? Uh, uh, you want to wait a little bit? Uh, I'll see if it, that's it. Okay, good enough. Um, so obviously, you guys, we're uh, upset. We're upset. It's her turn. But I think we teed it up for her pretty nice, did we? Okay. So I I would love for Stephanie to come up and explain her legislation and um, why she did it and. Uh, what do you want to say about it, please? Where are you all here? Well, first, trying to figure out what the hybrid model is here. I want to face the people that are in the room and also give a little bit of uh, yeah. visibility to the folks watching at home. Hi, I'm Steph Beal. Uh, I represent Central Colorado Springs in the People's House. Um, this is my first term that I just uh, that I just got through, and um, I've done a lot of this uh, um, delivery service work myself. So I am, to my knowledge, unless somebody is keeping a, a really Good secret. Uh, the only uh, gig worker who's ever been elected to the People's House of Colorado, um, which is important. We need yes, thank you. We need it. We need it. Um, so I, I really just want to invite everyone to like kind of, kind of dig deep with these conversations that we're having today, and as, as we move along and gear up for next session, um, and really think about what it is that you want this industry to do for you and your family and your community and your life. Because we have gone, we have put so much energy into chasing all of the little problems that these companies create for us, trying to play that game of whack-a-mole and finding that anything that we do, they're going to find another way to screw us on the other side of it. So, you know, if we fight, if we fight for mileage, they'll find another way to take it out of us. We got DoorDash to stop stealing our tents, then they just lowered the base compensation rate. Right, we've gone round and round and round with this, and I just want to invite everyone to consider. And I'm going to push back against Sergio a little bit. We're a little bit different in this regard. I don't want to start small. I, I don't do small. I don't do small. This, we already, the people in this room, and the people who make the food that we deliver, and everybody else who contributes to this this economy, we already have it all. It's ours. This is your labor. It's your time. It's your effort. That that's literally the stuff your life is made of. How much more of it are we going to keep giving so that some, some billionaire somewhere who said, well, I wrote the code for this, or I hired the people who wrote the code for this, so all of the product of your labor is actually mine, and if you decide, if you find a way that you can, you know, keep a little bit of it, you should be grateful for that little bit that you get to keep out of what you create with your own time and effort. I'm over it. I'm not playing this game. It's your labor, isn't it? Do you all work hard? Yes. I feel like these are some of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. Service industry workers, gig drivers, all of the people who do all the work that we just agreed a few years ago. This is essential. This is the essential labor. When everybody else got to stay home, why did they get to stay home? You mean because other people like made food and delivered it to them and picked up their groceries and brought it to them? Isn't that what happened? 
I feel like they, I, I feel sometimes like they're kind of trying to gaslight all of us, right? Like, like you're you're just so lucky that you have a job opportunity at all. And the really important part is that we protect the company so that they can create earning opportunities for you and me. And the earning opportunity is already there because we already know how to do productive labor. We already know how to work hard. We already know how to. We have everything. It's already ours. The problem isn't that we don't have it and we're trying to get it. The problem is that they are taking it from us. And so the bill that we ran this last session, I, I uh, put together with Colorado Independent Drivers United, which I'm a member of, um, some other uh, some other input from other drivers around the state. Um, and we really wanted to focus in on the companies just keeping their word for the thing they already say that they are. If you are a platform that brings on independent contract work, then you owe us your side of it. It can't just be that um, I'm an independent contractor in regards to the risk, but you're going to treat me like an employee when it comes. You don't get to say, like, oh, no, no, you, you, you take the jobs you want, and you turn down the jobs that you don't want, and that's what makes you an independent contractor, and then manipulate the data and hide things from us and try to coerce us into saying yes when we know it's not a good offer. So they've been trying to have it both ways here, and we're just not going to play that game anymore. So we focused on the transparency more than anything. And I have to tell you, it was fascinating to listen to some of these company leads and their lobbyists tell me, but I need somebody to take every single one of these offers. Like even if, even if it only pays $2 and there's no mileage and it doesn't pay the driver enough to live on if they take all those offers, they still need somebody to take it. And so oh, it sounds like you need the drivers. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like you need drivers. It sounds like you need workers. It sounds to me like if you don't have gig drivers, you don't have a gig economy. And so we should be standing up for that more than anything at this point. Whatever it is that we need to know to make decisions about our own work, we have the right to know it in full. And they, they'll find some ways to kind of pit us against each other, to pit us against our customers, to pit us against our neighbors. But I'm just going to keep coming back to this. It's all ours already. It's our economy. It's our labor. We make all of this happen. They should be grateful that we step up and work as hard as we do every day so that we can have this economy in the first place where there's a gig world where you can get things delivered and you can always get a ride. We make that happen, not the company. So that's the kind of bill that we ran. We're going to have another go at it next session because as uh, someone who ran for my seat more than once and has struggled to survive like so many of you, I know you have to take more than one swing once in a while before you're successful in something. And so... Um, I really think this day is a great opportunity for you all to uh, vent openly about <laughs> everything that's not working for you on the app. And I just want us to be thinking kind of longer term about what does it look like if this industry works the way it's supposed to and everybody's happy and strive for that and make them as the companies explain to us if they can, why that's not possible. Because I know that it's you all know that it is. So we will do that together. And I will stop, I will stop ranting now. <laughs> You are granting it all. You're only good for it. So, um, at this point, at this time, I do want to bring Alice from Curry in because Alice has proved, or Curry has proved that um, you can be fully transparent, make money as a company, and make money as a driver. That's how they started, and that's how they still operate today. Uh, so, Alice, thank you. Yes, thank you for having us, Steve. Hi, everybody. I'm Alice. 
accent you hear is French, if you wonder. Um, I'm the director of marketing at Curry, and I just wanted to say that we listen to you. We do our best to be transparent. That's why I'm here today, for example. We listen to your concerns. Um, I heard the deactivation process. For example, at Curry, we have a, a deactivation appeal process where you can email someone directly, and I swear we have real life human people answering the phone, <laughs> replying back to you on the chat. We don't use robots. So obviously we can't answer every phone call, but we do our best. Um, and uh, what else do you want to say? Yes, um, we, we listen to you. Join us on, on Facebook. We have a Curry Driver community group where people rent and it's totally fine. Actually, you know what? It's great for us because it allows us to, um, to improve our product. So we read each and every comment that you'll write, so don't be, uh, don't be haters. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can, but just know that some people read your comments. And then re uh, recently, for example, we launched the driver scorecard and we got feedback immediately that something was wrong. And so we put our engineers um, on it and they fixed the, the issue, or at least they, they're working on it. So I just wanted to say that some uh, companies uh, do try to, to do their best. And uh, yeah, join Kerry. Thank you for having Thank you, Alice. Thank you. Get some swag, please. Go get, go get free curry stuff. Yes, please. Go see uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, I don't know, you guys. Like, I know that um, most of you are veterans. Most of us are veterans. Uh, I'm sure there's some newer people, but many of us have been doing this for many years, and we've seen nothing except. And I know that a lot of times, I know Sergio, a, a lot of us get that comment, like, what do you want? And it's just, often it's just better. And that that's such a complicated answer because, I mean, the companies need to make money to get that. But there's a better way to treat people. And I think part of what Alice and Curry does is a perfect example. I think many of you are aware Curry has a wait list. <laughs> many of you have been on it for quite some time. So, um, but I think that's a, a much better solution than overloading the amount of drivers you need by 10 and oversaturating the market by so many that it just gets ridiculous. You know, I mean, like that's, that's what they count on. They count on 10 times as many people being on the road doing this work than are needed at any given time. And that means there really is not the opportunity to earn I'm going to be honest, there just isn't. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Stephanie's bill uh, went for transparency for drivers, transparency for the customers. And I think that's a big thing, too. I don't think that many people really understand that the customers don't really know what's going on. They just order their food. They know it's a little more than they pay if they went to get it, but they figure that's delivery. I guess that's what they charge. They don't know, but they were to see a breakdown of the line items and what you, what these drivers are paid, they, I mean, pure disgust. And, and again, that's how the company wants it. They don't want the customers to know anything. We, Sergio and I, I know, and many of others have seen like instances where literally I've never seen worse treatment of people than they don't, not only do, does the, do many of these companies not care about the drivers, but I've never seen a business operate that doesn't care about the customers. And they're, they literally don't. They don't. They just figure, what, if you're still going to order, you're still going to use it. So I would like to know, 
um, on Stephanie's bill why it was an issue. I'm, I'm sure, you know, this again, again, I hand uh, applause for, for Stephanie because she was she was a good worker. She was a good worker without political experience. She ran once, she didn't she didn't get it, she ran again. And even as I discussed with her when I interviewed her too, that you know she, she ran in a very difficult district to win it, and she won it this time around. And so, I mean, that's that's a big feat. So she put a bill together, and obviously being new into politics, you wouldn't expect it to be the most polished, refined, 30-year <laughs> veteran of politics bill, but it, it was right, the things it asked for. You know, take the acceptance rating away. I've been a traditional independent contractor since 97, doing production of laser shows, lighting, staging, um, and... I know what an independent contractor is supposed to be by definition. I do know, like when I saw Ron saying that he is one. Okay, so I get that because I am one too. I wasn't raising my hand because in this respect, no, I'm not. But I am when I'm in the productions. I've even had people tell me, if you don't set your own rates, you're not an independent contractor. False. That is not true. Because the production company I work for sends me a, a bed. But it's still transparent. It says, hey, we're going to pay you this much money to go out of country and do a show for two weeks. This is in its full specs. This is what you're going to do. This is what's expected. Here's your hotel. Here's your air. Do you want it? That, to me, that's independent contractorship because I'm looking at what it is. Do I want it? Do I not want it? It's up to me to take it. But it's never like, you know, we're going to pay you this. There might be more behind it. That, that kind of thing doesn't exist. So, I've always said a hybrid model, but I'm not even sure anymore that that's the answer either. But I feel like the companies, we've said this quite a few times, but I feel like the companies want to treat us like uh, want to treat us like employees, but make sure that we're paid the lower end of an independent contractor who almost doesn't even know what they're about to be paid. And to that, I say that's just I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it's not just not okay. I mean, if you're gonna do that, you. The reclassification has, has to happen. Now, I oppose regulations in every way possible. I never wanted to be here doing this today. But this became necessary because we are at a point where regulations are going to come anyway. And I've talked to Stephanie on a few occasions about it. I honestly believe that politicians are not informed enough. I, I believe that they don't know what we're really going through because politicians get, I mean, let's be honest, First of all, probably most of you have never written a politician. Just saying. Maybe, maybe you have, but we say that. Yeah, but it really does go a long way. But here's, here's why, because I feel like when a lot of times when these bills go to the floor, what they're doing is a staffer's telling them, well, we have a thousand emails that say that they just want to be employees. Well, how many do we have that say they didn't want to be employees? None. Well, nobody writes their politician and says, bang up job, keep it up. There's nobody does that. I mean, so... They're not hearing from the masses. They're hearing from the upset people. And that need, that also needs to stop because I think it, it disinforms these people who are going to be making law, they're going to be making regulations. I know some of you are still thinking it's it's not gonna happen. It's it's already happening, you guys. It's, I don't know what why why people are still even thinking it's not gonna it is happening right now. Like Sergio mentioned in Washington State, and that's going well. In Minnesota, the what he didn't mention, but I know he knows, was that they they tried to pass it. That was his first veto in his whole political career. 
I got I got to wonder who his supporters are and things of that nature. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, but I mean that's kind of crazy because it passed every single thing else, and it was like he does sit on the side of of what what usually they pass. He's like I'm on board with it, and he was up until it, everybody was finally on board with it. He's like he had to give his first veto to kill him. Now I don't believe in that. Part of the reason I like Stephanie's bill is because I don't believe in setting. I I would prefer there not to be minimum wage type stuff or set mile money because I do believe in it. I was talking to Louis last night that there's a floor meets ceiling situation that we meet all the time. We've seen it happen in New York um, with the rideshare drivers. The ones who could earn $60 an hour went immediately to the $27.65 or whatever it was. And the ones who were earning $10 and just couldn't make it work went up to the $27.65. So it, what, that's where I say floor meets ceiling is because they had, what, what, do you think that the company still lets the $60 drivers earn that and they and they, they dish out the difference to the others or do you think they pull it from the $60 drivers? I think we all know what happens. So, um, I don't know if you want to talk a little more about the bill. I would also, I would really love to, to have a Senator Priola. Uh, well, I'll jump in with one thing, but then I'd love to open it up to him. Yeah, I mean, I would love to hear his yeah. take on, on what, 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 what played out here. So. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. So we'll say also my colleague who's here, wherever, wherever he's hanging around, did indicate to me he's primarily here to listen. So I want to like respect that and, and kind of um, you know, keep keep that open. So, do you want to jump in? I'll sit on the mic. I'm just here to listen. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. No, that's great. That's what we that's what we asked of uh, the senator. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think one of the um, one of the things that gets us, and you know, and again, we've got a few different like angles at coming to this. And I talked about he kind of comes at this from a little bit of a different angle than I do. And and Dave and I are Arnold's on the same page, and, and we we obviously don't know. But the point is like. We are up against a really well unified and very opaque system of big tech power. And so they will never hesitate to cover each other's backs. They will never hesitate to coalesce around their interests, which is just to maximize their profit, which is so easy to do when you already have the money in your hands and you get to try to withhold it from the rest of us and, you know, get us to tell us how high we need to jump if we want to get the, the fruits of our own labor, right? So we, what we want to, I think, really focus on in like the coming months and coming years as we can tackle this problem is to find the things that we know we agree on and dig in our heels because they're not going to stop fighting us on this. The big tech lobby of the capital is very powerful. Um, they pulled some really interesting uh, tricks to, to undermine us on a variety of occasions. Um, and so we want to be really clear about what we want and what we expect out of this industry um, and demand it. And I think there are some things that I think we can safely say, like, no, 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 just having all the information I need to make the right choice, that should be a no-brainer. I'm not moving on that. We might have a few things we can, uh, you know, disagree on or let that slide and, and, and negotiate on. But, like, we, we want to come together, I think, around the things that, that we all know we can agree on and be unified and be uh, be firm and stubborn about those things. So um, I do want to open it up to like what's what's going on with y'all on, on your apps. What do you see, you know, that can be working better? What, what you, okay. First one is from Thomas. He wants to know what can drivers do to help stay independent? 
Can you repeat the question on the mic, maybe? Uh, no, no. He said he wanted, wants to know what uh, what drivers can do to, to stay independent. Well, I think it's it's advocating for for this, right? I mean, if you the the alternative becomes that you know if they want to treat us like employees sometimes, but treat us like independent contractors on others, there's a point at which they're going to try to solidify and law one way or the other. We don't want we don't want the company to do it their way. We want to do it our way, right? I think there's also an equal risk where they solidify independent contractor status but in a way that's very beneficial to them. And that's going to be a problem for us as well. So we really want to stay in the fight about getting, getting those transparency measures, getting due process for deactivations and making sure that the companies have a responsibility to the public, right? That's why like the public utilities commission in Colorado is the entity that manages our TNCs, our transportation network companies. Um, and the reason for that is because they've largely taken the place of uh, taxi cab companies, right? Like we recognize that's not entirely an independent thing. It's part of the broader public transportation uh, scheme of things. So um, we really want to focus on that and make sure that when you have the opportunity to contact your local elected officials, wherever you are, that you make sure that they're protecting your rights as a driver. There's no question that somebody really well paid to look out for big tech is going to be whispering in their ear on the other side. So you got to stand up for your own your own wants. The second question is from both sides. Uh, do you think it is possible to pass a, a state bill with transparency behind it without attaching any money to it? Without attaching any money to it. I mean, so certainly, like, hours, hours from this session did. Uh, we didn't really lock in any, like, per, per mile or per minute or anything like that kind of requirements. Um, we, to a certain extent, were kind of calling their bluff, right? Because they've said all this time, like, well, we have to keep you away. That's what everybody said they wanted was flexibility. So, so we can't, we can't give you the kind of rights that employees get. And we're like, okay, well, if you're not going to do that, then you owe us the transparency, like plain and simple. And then it became, well, we can't really tell everybody any everything because then too many people will say no. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The right to say no is what makes you independent, right? If you have to say yes, then you're on the clock, somebody else's clock. But if you're on your own clock, you have the right to say no. So I think actually keeping the dollar amounts out of it, it like kind of is the safest bet, right? If that if this is the way that they're going to operate, then this is what they owe us. And if they want to have a different business model, that's up to them. That's not a government thing from my perspective. From my perspective, the government thing is whatever kind of business you are, you have to do it in a way that protects workers and consumers. I think what he's getting at is without any money backers behind like, the bill, without taxes, without taxes things like Anything that, without pushing that way. To get this. Oh goodness! I mean, so the only the only additional cost that came up in our bill, um, and this was only because we we ran into a funding issue where the um, the Department of Labor's side of it was going to be the deactivation review. That's what that's what we were still kind of gunning for is to get the Colorado Department of Labor and uh, Labor and Statistics has the ability to review deactivations and decide what's just and not just. They can do that. They're already set up for that. Um, that's an essential public service that Coloradans offer to our citizens. Like, we can do that for gay drivers. Um, they didn't want to pay for it with a certain fund that we had, so we were going to attach just like a two cent, like a two cent per ride fee to cover it so that everybody would know they have the right to a review. Um, and that that was that was the only thing that was gonna that was gonna cost anything out of this bill. And whenever we bring it back, it would be similar. Yeah, one last question from Bud Soto again. <laughs> uh, do you think it is possible to get a fair deactivation bill, bill approved? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely think so. And again, I'll, I'll say I think you know from from my perspective, and I and I know other states might have kind of different ways of uh, approaching this. 
but we have a really a pretty reliable system already within the Department of Labor. This is what they do. You get um, unjustly fired from your job and you're an employee if you have wages withheld from you illegally, if anything like that happens with um, anybody you do business with. Um, that's what they're there for, regardless of whether you're hired or a contractor. So um, this to me is that instead of creating a whole new entity, like work with what we've got, it's a good public service. It should work for us as well as anybody else who works for a living. To me, this goes back to sort of like what I uh, worked at. Yeah. It goes back to like the companies want to need the benefit of what it means to be an independent contractor without holding up there into the market, right? So, um, not a secret to a lot of people. I worked at Uber at points in my life, right? So, I worked at Uber Operations. I launched Uber in Las Vegas. I was a logistics manager who set it up. I involved lobbying state officials, set up the deals with casinos. So, I've been in the belly of Right, like I've run the beast to some extent, and uh, you know what happened with deactivations, right? I think what I really wanted to highlight is what we always said is like, look, we cannot give you a reason to why you are deactivated because as an independent contractor, you, you know, we can't give you the reason that you're deactivated, which is frankly just bullshit, right? But where it comes back to, I think, is really that hey, we're going to use this IC thing when it benefits us, so that we don't need to owe you anything, but only at our own convenience, really, right? And I think that's sort of uh, just the part that, frankly, annoys me, right? It's the using of it at your convenience there. So, yeah. 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 I don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, because I wanted to ask you something about pair of work. So I want, I want to say, like, there's a situation with Checker going on, too, that we all are aware of. Let's not overlook Checker. Checker's a nightmare. Um, checker for a, for a nominal fee provides a background check. It is so sad, and that lately, it's if you lived in a different state four years ago, that will probably get you deactivated if they run a check because they don't have a record of the last four years or that missing gap, and they can't find it for that cheap of a background check. So David and I spoke on many occasions about what about paying for our own background checks? What about maybe having it done through Independently, through myself, like I, you know, if we, David, maybe you can even help with the prices because I don't want to say seventeen to twenty-five dollars, but I think that's how it works. So, I mean, what is a seventeen-dollar background check? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you can work an hour in a W two job and you get paid seventeen dollars. So, who's running these background checks? Is this just AI? What's going on? And why is there no reveal? Again, it's just another piece. And level for these companies to say, well, that was checkered. Checkered three matches, man. Sorry. And so sometimes it's them saying, no, we're just not going to share that. But sometimes it's checkered. They're like, oh, it's checkered. Too many hands in this game. We need a, we need a legit company that does these background checks or allow us to do them ourselves. I'm a fan of something that you guys might not know about. Uh, I would like to have a background check done once every six months. It's about what most insurance premiums are in most states. So about that same amount of time, you get a card, just like your insurance. When you onboard these apps, you use that card. You've already been background checked. Here you go. You're good. I mean, why? Why? If I if I onboard to Uber tomorrow, why do I have a background check done? And then why the next day if I onboard to Lyft, do they have to run one too? And then if I onboard to Instacart the next day, they have to run one too. DoorDash, they have to run one too. Now I just had four background checks run in four days. Why? And they're all through Checker. 
Why does that even happen? Because it's good business for them. <laughs> four, four companies, four times. What she said. Uh, so, uh, but I mean, this again, this is, uh, you know, I know we have some very extreme people who call, you know, we know there's the amplification. We know that, you know, they like to keep you on the road. I remember back in the days of Rideshare pre-pandemic, it was even still happening. But it was already happening. It was, you know, do five, five trips in a row, you get a $50, $100 bonus on Uber. Well, guess what? You do four, and then you wait for that fifth one for Tony. I'll ask you. Tell me how Could be up to when your log off time hits, and then you're not, you don't even get it. Great. So you don't even get it. Exactly. Or it accidentally picks you off the app. And then when you log back on all of them, you, you didn't fulfill the first four. So, I mean, the gamification is wrong in the first place, but the fact that they do things like that, extremely sad. These companies are getting away with murder. I know, again, I, I will say, I never wanted to be in this room doing this. I didn't, because I didn't think that it would need to come to this. But this is ridiculous. Um, I don't want regulations. I, I don't want the government more in my pocket. But at the same time, I don't want to have these companies just taking all of my payout to what probably would only be a third as much to go to the government if we did come up with something. One thing we can't have is the lawmakers making these laws based on emails and what their what their assistants and stuff are telling them. Because they need to be more knowledgeable on what's really going on here. They need to understand these issues. I think, talking about background checks, uh, I think it'd be helpful if the passengers had background checks. They can make up names, they can use gift cards, they can have a friend, you know, and, and they get deactivated, they can just make up another name. There's no verification. So, uh, you know, drivers need to be kept safe. It's not just about passengers being safe because. There's been a lot of drivers that have hurt or killed, and uh, there's there's nothing to prevent that right now. It's, there needs to be some level of security. Yeah. I, I fully agree with you, and that, that should get a clap, you guys. I fully agree with you, but I think, I think all of us know they're not going to do that because that's just business for them. Yeah. Well, let's be honest, they're never going to do that. Even. Yeah, they're <laughs> but honestly, they're never they're never going to spend a dime. They're not going to do anything that rocks the boat of getting rid of even the worst customer, because to them that's just money. They don't they don't care. They don't. And, and I'm going to be honest, they don't care about our safety. That's very apparent. They don't care about our safety. They don't care about our safety when something happens to us. When the most extreme situations happen to something, they don't care. And in fact, I've seen them, I've seen all of these companies abuse that when something happens and use it to a PR advantage, which blows my mind. Like there was that person in Florida not too long ago doing deliveries on Rideshare. We used to see the violence only in Rideshare. But there was that person in Florida who did, was doing delivery, dropped, you know, dropped the bag off. He has all done this, took the picture. As they were taking the picture, the person opened the door, pulled them in the house, and dismembered. I mean, what did the what did what did DoorDash do about it? DoorDash did nothing. It used it as PR, and I don't know how you spin that into good PR, but they did. Um, they did nothing for the family. They did nothing to the driver that was killed. They did. I mean, but they somehow got PR on it and did nothing for us. So um, it's just 
all of us work very hard. We've all gotten to a multi multi apping levels. We're using multi apps to to make money. Because for those that are new, in case you are unaware, working one app might work in your market, but I highly, I highly, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. Please, she's she's hot now. <laughs> don't, don't get loyal to an app; they're not loyal to you. That's not that is not a two way street. And I think I think you know, the, the safety concern is a is a really big one. And Steve raised a good point about like that. Just it, why would it matter to them, right? It's just they they've got a bottom line. And and listen, like I, I'm definitely like a lot more to the the left than than uh, some some people. But like it's not about whether or not it's good or bad to be a for-profit business. We just have to be honest about what we're dealing with and recognize that their goals are not always going to be the same as ours, right? Their, their objective is to get get you to take an offer that's as low as they can get you to accept it at and for nobody to say no, right? They need you to do the work and they need you to do it for as little pay as they can get you to do it for. That's where their profit margin comes from. But our interest is always going to be that obviously stay safe from work, my God, not get not get killed or harassed or assaulted, um, but also to make more money. And so if those things are out of line, we have to recognize that's not your friend. That's not your friend. That's a ghost boss on the other side of that on the other side of that screen. Um, and just the safety issue has always been a big one, right? We've seen this in like you know I've been describing the era we're living in right now, sort of like a second machine age, because it really is, right? We had a we had a Gilded Age and the you know, Industrial Revolution 100 odd years ago. Very similar problems. The way that people worked drastically changed. Uh, the way that people were able to you know, enrich themselves and, and pursue their own happiness and make a good living for their family drastically changed. And whoever had the most power to manipulate the new rules and the new way of doing things and whatever, like they kind of made off with everything and a lot of people got left behind and hurt. Um, we're going through a similar big shift right now in how we interact with technology when we work and where we work, um, and getting it, getting that regulatory set of you know set of regulatory mechanisms in place so that they actually benefit us is really going to have to be the name of the game here. Um, and unfortunately, again, you can't just count on companies to care about your safety. They should. They should. They should. There's a lot of things that people should do because it's the right thing to do. But we have to set rules for reasons. So that's why I was kind of like, that's a law that says you have to care about safety. That's what I'm here for. So, yes, thank you for that. And I should shut up for a minute and let somebody else. Hello, um, I'm Tony. I am probably known by the YouTube channel, but uh, I am uh, the first to admit I probably don't align with my political belief values with Stephanie. But what I do value is honesty and transparency. Uh, maybe other bills that she would want to promote, I wouldn't really agree with. But this particular one is about keeping us as independent contractors and being able to have transparency. And I would say that transparency means more than just uh, this is how much we're paying and this is how much you're paying, but there's algorithms at work here, not just discriminating our wages, but discriminating the customers on how much they're paying based on uh, perceived supply and demand, which is created by the algorithm. They can manipulate the demand to be what they want for when they want it, and there should be AI um, rules in place before AI can take over everybody including the companies. 
AI can just take down the company if they don't control their own AI. So um, transparency should include predictable pay. Maybe not minimum, this is what we're going to make, but if we're going to make something, we need to know what the rule set on what we're making is based off of. So then when we get an offer, we know that what we're being paid is what we should have been paid, not based on what the algorithm decided was the value for that time at that moment. Um, I'm actually going to call up Ben here for a minute. Uh, so uh, yeah, he, didn't, he didn't expect this at all, I guess. Um, so he's representing Moves Financial here, um, good company to know. Um, they help pay workers. But I, I actually want to get your perspective after hearing this and meeting us all this weekend on what goes on in Canada. Is this same stuff going on in Canada? Is there anything you have to say about that? If not, you can keep it short. But sure, I yeah, we got it. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here, guys. I'd really like to see engineering Ben for a company called Moves. We are based out of Canada. Um, we're actually predominantly only available in the United States, though. Um, but in terms of the comments, in terms of what's going on up there, a lot of similar conversations. Um, so, especially at the provincial level, we're from uh, Ontario, Toronto. Um, and so, very, very similar conversations. Um, maybe different, different tactics, maybe different uh, starting points. Um, but yeah, in terms of like how can folks uh, team up, get together, have these types of events, uh, that's all very similar. So um, yeah, again, just really happy to be here. Great to, great to finally meet a lot of people in, in real life um, and just really excited to uh, continue to listen and continue to contribute where we can. So yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, guys, I'm just trying to, I'm also trying to showcase how many, because we have another room in here too for, for everybody watching. This other room has got people in it as well. We can just only fit some in here. But I'm going to pick out some other people too. I'm going to walk right up here. And I'm going to ask her a question. If, if, if you could have one thing changed in your game life, from the apps, whatever you want. Stability. Stability. Because we're going off, we're feeding off algorithms that they're throwing at us. We should be making this much per hour. We should be making this much per hour. It's different in every market. We really don't know what we're going to make. Some days are decent. And other days you're like, man, light bills do tomorrow. You know, we need stability in our lives. I work, I work 40 hours plus at my W-2. Get off work at seven in the morning. Go out with bed on moves. That's what I do. Why? I can't leave my W two. There's no stability if I leave that. I don't know if all my bills are gonna get paid. I don't know if I'll have extra money to eat or you know go see red up in Philly. You know, I won't have money to enjoy life. So I have to keep the W two. So I have decent benefits. So I have that money to pay my bills. My gig work. You know, that's my time with my family. That's my fun time, you know, but the money, you know, it has to get better for us. There are people out there that want to spend time with their kids at home that don't want to pay extra for daycare. You know, the mother, you know, husband and wife team doing right here. You know, they, they have a, a family that they have to be home for. We need the stability now so that uh, we don't have to worry about bills. That's what we need. That's why we need this transparency, you know, $2. That's 
Then get out of here with all that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, we have the power. We consider ourselves, you know, if we use the word, the term independent contractor, but we're really not when they're holding us to that, to our acceptance rate. You want to be top dasher? You have to take the Popeyes. I'm not taking the Popeyes. <laughs> Tony, you take the Popeyes. Okay. Yeah. When I started out, all of us when we started out, we didn't know better, man. We were taking the Popeyes, you know, because we felt like it was an obligation. We signed up. Oh, you know, two dollars. I guess that guy was taking. Oh, no, we didn't know any better. You know, now you know I have to drive forty-five minutes away from my house to a better market in order to make decent money because by my house, it's all fast food. You ain't money, making money on fast food. So you have to pivot and adjust in order to, you know, really make that money. You know, DoorDash and Uber Eats and, you know, all the platforms, even Rideshare, they really have to work on helping us out. Man, it's not about the customers, man. Without us, you wouldn't have no dang customers. So, um, that's what I hope for with all this legislation going on, with, with all this help that you guys are giving to us. In the end, I hope it really is going to get better for us. Well, uh, you know, to worse. And I heard Cody, I heard Cody say something, so I'm giving him like two cuts. I know you have things to say all this time. All right, what I got here is, is if um, like these companies with you know, they're introducing, they used to store action. They're introducing these new programs as climate prior all this. So now you have to have this, yeah, they're starting with that now, where you have to have this 70% acceptance rate and have over 100 deliveries in the previous 30 days to even get the ability to do cater orders. So they're taking away from drivers that don't want to take the jump orders. And then I, I'm in a market where I'm from, that there is areas that are very dangerous. The crime rate is higher than anywhere else in the country. And I'm being told I have to go to take these orders there when I have a family and stuff that I'd like to go home to. I don't want to go there. And I don't think people should be forced to have to do something if we're supposed to be independent contractors. So that's the part that really messes with me is because if we're going to be an independent contractor, why am I being told I have to do something and to maintain a rating? And then another thing on it, too, is if I have a show by a restaurant or something and an order's not ready, they always take the side of the restaurant. There's only so many times a restaurant, you know, we get violations for messing up. I believe this should go equally to customers and restaurants also. They should get violations too. They should be obligated. If we're going to be obligated to something, everyone should be obligated to it. I think that after that, maybe you have a couple things. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So then, step two, I'm taking. Really bad at public speaking. I'm really nervous, so please bear with me. Something I got to push back against. Terms of pay. And it has to do, to your point, Craig, Craig about uh, stability and uh, predictability of how much you are going to make a particular job. Because if we know 
I mainly do ride sharing, so I'm kind of speaking more to the ride share element. If we know what we're going to make, you know, marketing is decide. If we know what we're going to make per mile per minute like we used to, then no, no algorithm can price rides differently for different people. And algorithmic waste discrimination wouldn't be a thing at all if we knew exactly what we were going to make per mile per minute, like in Washington, like Minnesota. I know everybody. But with inflation, costs going up, us not being able to make end speed as much as we used to. Seventy in my market, we get paid seventy cents, seventy cents a mile, twenty cents a minute. That rate has been the same for the last six years. Costs are going up. So I guess my question to you is: Do you feel like not, you know, pushing for minimum pay or minimum pay is just something that? We just have a lesser chance of achieving, and if it's really something that we want to fight for in our own markets, like how would you suggest we kind of move? Should we try to get transparency first, then negotiate pay, or what would you recommend if just the transparency is enough? And thank you for that, because I will say, like all, all different ways of tackling this are still on the table, right? Right? Like we, it's it's early. There's a lot of different ways we could go after this. The session starts January. Um, and I'll just flag for y'all that I hope you are um, watching for the session to start. Um, get out my newsletter somewhere. I have a sign-up sheet. I meant to put it out, and I did it. My name is back here. I'll be showing it out. Um, keep up with my office because whenever we have like opportunities coming up for people to uh, testify in committee, to come lobby your uh, legislative members, I hope y'all will come and do that because, as I said, the, the, um, the big tech lobby, they have no shortage of presence in that building. And those people get paid a lot of money to show up and say that they know what's good for all of us. So if you're not there, they are. That's all they hear. So uh, what, what's, your, what's your name? I'm sorry. So I just said, no, that you just said she's great. I like that. That's great. Um, you like, really, I think, really got to the heart of the issue here about the lack of stability and the loss of your time and not having, not having the opportunity to go home and be with your family at night or have friends or hobbies or sleep at night. Um, you know, like I said at the beginning, at the top of this, like this is the stuff your labor is the stuff your life is made of. This is your energy and your time and your everything that is you and makes you you. How much more of it do you need to give away to somebody else just so you can keep paying your bills? At a certain point, you're just working with it, right? Um, and I think you should be able to live to work. That's kind of what most people are after. It's not that we don't want to work and that we don't work hard, and that so we want it to serve our needs. And then you should be able to put down your tools and rest for the evening, right? Um, and we've been over this fight with uh, in other, right? Like previous generations of working people had to do this. They fought like hell for a 40 hour work week. They fought like hell for minimum wages. They fought like hell to end child labor and give us worker protections. And if we have to do it all over again, it's a fair fight. You shouldn't have to like work all day and then all night and leave your kids behind because they don't get to be young once and then they're grown, right? So I think you, you really, you, you hit the heart of it there. I think that stability is really important to people. I think you make a good point with the, with the wages issue, with the you know, predictability of, of income. And I, I think any, anything that we anything that we need to do should still be on the table as long as we can pass it and, and make it work. So, yes, it's definitely. I think it's awesome you're putting transparency in there. Because, um, yeah, I think. For me, driving over here in Denver um, and lifts, that's just kind of where I'm at, is having no idea where I'm going to be. And from here to Denver Airport, 
I could get paid fifteen dollars, or I could get paid forty. I could get paid fifty, but I don't know what interval those better trips come. And even if I went on a search, I could land on a fifteen dollar search, and they lower the price. So it's like if it's Tuesday, it's not busy. That's fine for me to not work. But I actually used to work as a public school teacher with, um, for the flexibility, and I feel like now this surgeon app is basically running my entire life that I only work with the surgeon. And um, I think the transparency, yeah, basically goes to the heart of it. That we need to know if I shouldn't drive this day because it's cold, then I don't want to waste my time. But I feel like I'm kind of just gambling every day I go out. Yeah, whether or not I'm going to get a And I think on the left side, they kind of do that in a different way. Um, on the left side, it's like this weekend I've got to offer to do uh, 50 rides and get a $300 bonus. Now, Ken's also on left, and he didn't get any offers this weekend. And I've had friends that they get offers on weekdays, I get offers on weekends, and then it flips. And we know that, you know, we'd both be doing the same job. I'd rather somebody in the airport right now. But because I just happened to get that bonus today, I'm going to make a living wage, and he isn't. So they just tell us, I just trust in the algorithm, we're looking at your driving habits, but we have nothing to rely on. It's like, am I going to get an offer next week that gives me a living wage, or, you know, am I not going to get anything at all? So I think there needs to be something other than kind of being a slave to this nebulous force in the sky that, uh, you know, we can look to and know what to expect. If I'm going to do this job part-time, full-time, whatever, you know, I love doing the job. I love interacting with passengers and, you know, providing a needed service. Picking people up at the hospital, picking people up who are drinking. The city relies on us, and uh, in this city, I've got screamed at by the police picking up at every single, you know, venue of any kind. And I can't get to the pickup spot because there's a GPS error, I don't get my money. So, yeah, I want to provide this service. And I'm happy to work part-time and get another job or to work full-time, but I make, you know, I might make a $1,000 a weekend and be like, yeah, I'm going, you know, I'm going to be all in on this. And then they take away the surgery next week and make nothing. So, yeah, it's just about kind of knowing what to expect and having some baseline that I can know, is this a rational decision to buy a car and do this job or not? And I feel like right now I'm kind of just, uh, you know, really just at the mercy of whether or not they let it map right or not. Just one quick comment that I just come to mind, and I appreciate the opportunity to say something here. But I think the storytelling is incredibly important when we're trying to create change and sort of uh, rally folks around something. And I think that this story of transparency is probably one that has a lot of legs. So even just like to answer your question there, like what story are we chasing? So there can be the, the transparency story, and do we want to like lean into that versus? What other a different story you might be wanting to tell? So that's just one comment that just comes to mind for me is like storytelling can be incredibly powerful, um, and it can also be incredibly cheap when done well. So that's just all I wanted to say. Something. Don't trust the algorithm. I just thank you for sharing what you share. It really means a lot. I, you know, don't you know. I used to be the person who set those Sorry, I used to be the person who set those incentives at Uber. So I was the operations manager who's in charge of the city, and I would decide every given week what the incentive 
I think I'm going to share this story just to give you a sense for how crazy things have become. This. I was an Uber in 2015 to 2017, and I used to, on a weekly basis, go through and go through what we call driver populations and basically see how many trips do you do on a weekly basis and how can I set the threshold that's 30% higher. That is very unlikely that you're going to hit, but that will make you a bunch more trips that will be impossible for you to really hit. Right? And I think what was interesting was in any given state, we probably have two or three of me. And we did all these tests, and you had sort of a layer above that of people who were running these experiments, basically. So they're like, hey, in these 10 states, you have the options of these two or three programs of what to do. And then above that, you had a layer of people whose job was to do data science, right? So their whole thing is like, we're making sure that every one of these experiments is statistically significant so that we can feed it into the machine that will learn even better price intensities. So you have a whole infrastructure of Smart people just try to fuck you over, basically, right? Uh, and what happened by the time I was in 2017 was, you know, we had five years of data, and it plugged it into a month. And basically, because we perfectly collected all the data, they now had a model that could, you tell it, hey, this is what I want to accomplish. I would go to every single individual driver, create an incentive tailor-made for you, just out of your reach. It would pay you out, and it would analyze itself, and it would feed itself back. And this was in 2017, right? So imagine what's happened since 2017, right? Like, it's only boomed since then. It's only gotten crazier and crazier and crazier. And I think the reason that I share this story is, like, I don't think some people realize the enormity of sort of what you're up against. I also feel like that's the case here sort of, like, politically, right? We, like, you know, we come here, it's amazing to have everybody, but it's sort of overwhelming, right? We're fighting this big thing. Like, what do we do about it? Um, I think really on my end it comes back to, I mean, it sounds so simple on the message, but transparency, right? If the writer knows what the driver's being paid and the driver knows what the deal is, that solves a lot of the problem. If you know the rules of the game, if I do these trips, I get this. If I follow these rules, this is what I get. That is just sort of like the easiest blanket solution for a lot of that. So I think that really is sort of the stepping stone. And really, what does that mean in terms of like what we can all do? further this sort of like leaving after today, I think it really is, uh, it is. what somebody said earlier is like, it is. It is. somebody said earlier, tens of thousands of people here is the one representative from Gordon, so the one representative from What we need is more and more of these sort of events, right? Everybody comes together, we let people who are in office know what we want, and we continue pushing for that on a unified message. And I want to say that I think transparency should be that message. Right, so I hope that, you know, I know that we have sort of Sergio out there who's grabbed the senator and it just we talked to him for 30 minutes. We need that. We need us to accept the all the major cities where we need to fight for gay rights and we just need to have them. we'll say that this is sort of like the first of many of these so I guess just give it another example of something that happened. So I live in the suburbs of Denver, um, and I turn on my app and I see a big 15-hour ride on the map, you know, the surge you get. And they're getting smaller and they're getting bigger. And so I start driving towards downtown, and I get offers for five minutes to drive something in my own Now, that's not a, you know, great wage, and I see the 15 minutes. So I drive five miles down the road, I touch the 15, and then I get an offer to drive back to my community and give the same private with the surge patch. 
So I'm curious, at what point is that not serving customers? Snowballs like that, the big red surges. Um, and at what point is that creating inequality? Because it's the person that's paying me five dollars for that ride on the customer side, they might be going home from the hospital. And in the surgery area, I might be getting paid to drive somebody who doesn't want to walk five minutes home from the bar. So um, I'm just curious, has that had a threshold that it is impacting service to have it so unequal and kind of chasing these? I can only speak up to my point there in 2017, but I was there, there was price discrimination based off of every single regulatory. We ran what we called algorithmic wiggles, so we would vary the price we would show to somebody offering a ride to figure out what your individual price sensitivity was. And we did that to every single rider, so we could figure out, you know, that's why I might get a slightly different price term than you if we went to the same place, and Steve might get a slightly different price than all of us. But uh, they we did that back in 2017, so they already have on the individual level the ability to serve that right? I think where it gets interesting with Surge, uh, when I joined Uber in 2015, I would draw the Surge map, right? So I'd literally go on a map and I'd be like, these are the geofences, and I could set the thresholds for the different Surge. I'd be like, you know, nine is the max, one is this. I could override Surge if I wanted to, I just wanted to turn it off. Uh, but very quickly, it got very complicated. Right. So we moved very quickly from me, David, setting search manually to what we call like hex search. So what they would do is on any given block, that block would be carved into like five hexagons. And supply and demand would be calculated on an individual part of that hexagon, and all the hexagons would talk to each other, which is why you see those sort of blobs growing and shrinking and growing and shrinking. But that's really how it works. It's, it's a bunch of like individual small pieces calculating supply and demand feeding into each other with this sort of like organistic uh, sort of watchdog all of it. And I think, you know, I'm not sure that answers your question per se, but I guess what I'm more trying to highlight is how complex these systems we're fighting against are, and we would have the tools as a city to sort of toggle those rules to accomplish the goal that we wanted to accomplish on any single game. So I just think... Um, that it just comes back to transparency at the end of the day. It's like, how does this work? Why does it work? Because frankly, these systems are so complicated that I couldn't even explain it to you five years ago, and even harder to explain it. I'll just jump in about about that. I think one of the one of the really popular things for people to say out there right now about AI is like, oh, it's coming for your jobs and it's going to replace you. And it's in some cases that's very true. Um, and there's always this like, you know, when 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 do the robots come and take our jobs and then wage war against us, right? Like we've all seen Battlestar Galactica twenty times. Or maybe that's just me, um, the small sci-fi obsession. But like the big danger actually with this is not that AI is going to take your job, but that it's going to become your boss. <laughs> this is the problem, right? This is this is the problem with the coding. And the, so in the legal language, in, in the bill we read this year, and I'm sure it'll come up again, but what we're all talking about here are nonlinear compensation models is kind of our catch-all term. So that's like the quests and the challenges, the top-down dasher bullshit. I'm sorry, the top dasher program. Uh, we know it's, but we all agree that that's bullshit, right? And we get that. Please tell me everyone knows that you don't want to be top dasher. Again, don't be loyal to the app, they're not loyal to you. Um, and I, I'm just going to insert my joke in here for when I'm back on the road and I'm doing deliveries. It would be really funny if DoorDash were to deactivate me because I criticize them publicly. I just sort of say that every time in case they do. Um, 
Um, but this is so much of the trouble, right? Is that they, if they have the ability to do that and there's nothing that holds them publicly accountable for how they're affecting the entire ecosystem in which they're operating, um, and if they will just continue to ratchet it up. And we've only seen this with um, not just what we've worked with what we're paying, but also with what they're charging the customer. And I will tell you that in the, in the process of this bill, um, the stakeholded and having you know lobbyists come out to, to get involved in it. The point at which they really just lost it and pulled out all the stops to get rid of our bill was over the destination transparency. Because where the customer is, where they live, where they work, where they are, that's the part that is so valuable to them. It is very, very, very important to these companies that they have that information and that you don't. And I think that was really telling because they use that that information greatly to their advantage when it comes to pricing. And of course, David knows this. We, we just explained it. He's been on the other side of it. So, I, you know, I think you, you touched on something really big there about, you know, the, the, the unpredictability of it all. Where are they coming up with this stuff? And why is somebody being offered an incentive package today, um, but not next week? And the person next to you is, well, they've, they've got a read on you. And they know what that they know what that formula is, and they don't want to share it with you for a reason. So, so just to kind of jump in with the quest challenges on Lyft. So not only maybe you got one and you didn't, but maybe I got one too. Where yours is 50 trips, mine's 135 trips for the same dollar value. Where two months ago mine was 50 trips or less, but they're giving less money, more trips, and then if I decide. Okay, I'm going to turn off Lyft for two months, like my wife. I'll go into her app and look and see what her her bonuses are. And it's the same bonuses as mine, but she has to only do 19 trips. So then they reel her back in and then incrementally move those trips up and up and up. And then you're like, why am I having to do 45 trips a day? For seven days just to hit the same money I was hitting for doing 40 trips in the dollar, Or the dollar values go down. Yeah, or both. So that's just my two cents on that stuff. I figured I'd jump in here and explain my reasoning when I raise my hand about why, why do I call myself an independent contractor? Because the reality is, as far as the positions, as far as doing the deliveries for DoorDash or Uber Eats or doing rideshare, those are not really independent contractor positions. Let's be honest about that. Um, the fact of the matter is, we, 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 we talked about background checks, right? If I'm providing service as a business, why can't I sign up for any of those companies using my LLC credentials. Every single time, with every single company, you have to sign up as an individual. You have to have a background check done as an individual. You're not being signed on as a business other than when they want to pay you. So that doesn't sound like I'm saying I'm an independent contractor, does it? You know, I, I think all the things that these companies are doing uh, violate the idea of an independent contractor because of the way they try and control you. And that is absolutely the bottom line thing that you're not supposed to be able to do with independent contractors is control the work, right? But the reason that I call myself an independent contractor 
is because I decide to be. And, and in so doing, I look at DoorDash and Uber and all these companies that are my, as my customers. Now, if you've ever run a business, you know that the nature of the beast is your customers are going to try and screw you over, right? And so that's part of why I don't want to be an employee, for one thing. I'm okay with these companies. I'm not okay with it, but I, I'm okay operating as an independent contractor with customers that want to screw me over. There's no way in hell that I'm going to be an employee for an employer that wants to screw me over. Because it all comes down to I get a little more control over it. Uh, we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of uh, content people, so probably a lot of people that are familiar with Gary Vee. Gary Vee had a saying that he said a lot of times that uh, when you're running a business, everything is your fault. And he said, but that's a good thing because that means you're in control. And so that's that's kind of the approach that I decided to take. And so I've never felt like I was at the mercy of DoorDash or Uber Eats or any of these other companies. I look at it as if I'm running a business. And there's a point when you're running a business that, uh, you know, running a business does not mean flexibility. If you think running a business means flexibility, try opening a restaurant and serving prime rib for breakfast. You can do it because that's your choice, but you're not going to stay in business. So, so there's... There's not all of those things, but what I've decided to do, and I, it, it has done wonders for my peace of mind, is that I decided I'm still going to act like it's my business. I'm going to make my decisions, and you know what? If if the money's not there, then it doesn't make business sense for me to go out there and make that money. Now that doesn't excuse any of the other people. Like I said, you know, the, the customers always out there to screw you over, right? Grubhub is that company that uh, they were the kings when they started. Or maybe I should say Postmates because they weren't as substantial. But they're, they're always that company that you know they're reaching for the candy bar and trying to slip it in their pocket or something and walk out. DoorDash is the one that's uh, picking up the TV, holding it up high, and saying, "Try and stop me, suckers!" <laughs> they're all trying to rip us off. And but I can work with that. Because I can still make my decisions around all of those things. Now, the thing about it, though, is when you're doing it from, from a business mindset, is that there's always a time where you start to realize, man, maybe this just doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe it's time to close up shop. Like I said, I don't want to be an employee of these companies, but I will say that, uh, you know what, if we want to divorce an employee model, there's one way to do it. And that is everybody who, there, there's a part of your contract, no matter what platform, there's a part of the contract somewhere that says, I agree that I am providing services as a business. Some kind of language like that. I am providing services as a business and not as an employee. There's somewhere in there, you know, something to that nature that's in a contract somewhere. Now, if everybody who didn't believe that decided, I'm not signing up for that, they would have to go out and hire employees. And if, if everybody who just said, okay, I'm not doing this under this because it just doesn't make sense anymore, if they kind of held to their guns, eventually these companies would have to make a change. It may not be the change we want. That's the problem. You know, because like I said, I don't ever want to work for one of these companies. If they go employee model, I'm going. But, um, 
you know, I, I think there's two things going on here. The first one is, what can we do as a group of contractors about all these ways? And, and I don't think forcing people to be employees is the answer, but I do think that we can seek out ways to force them to honor the independent contractor relationship. How come that's never part of the discussion? Policing the oversteps, policing the extra control. You know, is there some way that we can do something with that? Does it mean going through the Federal Trade Commission, who has said that they're planning on cracking down? I don't know. You know, but um, that's where I would rather see things go, is, is something like that. But, but there's, there's that part, what can we do? But then I think there's the other part that just says, what do we do for ourselves when they're trying to rip us off? And, and that's where I guess I would really encourage you to at least approach it from that kind of a business perspective and say, okay, I'm in control, I'm the boss, I get to make my own decisions, I'm not going to fall for their algorithms or any of that stuff, I'm going to make my own decisions, and unfortunately, if it's not enough at some point, it's time for me to close up shop and go somewhere else. And I don't know how close that time is coming, because I never used to have to wait 20 minutes at a time between orders. You know, so they're playing their games. And at some point, it's not going to make sense anymore. Um, I'm okay to move on, but I think I think that's the reality that we have to understand as independent contractors is that we are doing this as a business. It might not feel like it, and I know they really don't think that you're a business owner because of the way they treat us. But in the end, it's not about what they do. It's about what we do. We can only control the things... Yeah, it's not about what they do. It's about what we do. Um, seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person basically says you can only control or only focus on the things that you can control. We can't control Uber. We can't control DoorDash. But we can control ourselves. We can take an attitude that says, I'm going to take control of whatever it is, and I'm not going to let them control me. And, and I think the more that we do that, the less likely we are to be, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, taking advantage of. That's my thought, anyway. He also is very um, active on Twitter. Um, Rod's a friend of mine here from Denver. Uh, we've done a lot of collabs together, and he he does deep dives like I did and finds all kinds of problems and puts them on Twitter and causes problems that I want. It. He's a disruptor. That's not causing problems, um, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then, yeah, but um, Luke, uh, we're going to have... Uh, He's on here. Have to real quick. Yeah, and then I'm going to let Stephanie yeah. speak, and then I'm going to close this out here, you guys, because everybody's getting a little hungry, but uh, and I don't want it to turn into hangry, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to say that... Uh, are based on what major investigations in my audience, thousands of thousands of people um, love what you do and appreciate what you do and and now they are better informed because of what you have done. So thank you very much. side of things is really valuable and I just kind of want to compliment it. I think you're like 100% right. Like if I'm having it just interpersonally, any any other driver I talk about, yeah, yeah, turn down the garbage and I'll take it. 
Um, you know, like, don't be loyal to an app. It's not worth it. Say all of that. And then on the flip side of that as well, um, as a public policymaker, I'm interested in how it affects the entire, again, the entire ecosystem that we're dealing with. And I think, you know, you, you say something very interesting there about, like, we all just say we've had enough and it's going to force their hand. It's going to, and I think that where we, where that runs short, it makes sense up to a point where we, um, where we hit a wall with that, there will always be some number of people who haven't tried the platforms yet who will get on it, but they can scam for a few months until they give up and then they'll get another batch and they'll do it to them again. Um, and again, we know with like the, the algorithmic games that they play, they'll find a way to get people to say yes to things. That's what the top basher thing is, what the quests are for, what all of that's for. Um, and so I think, you know, certainly, and I've always approached it, I've always approached it as a small business owner, right? My own work. Um, and I've had a, a sole proprietor, a small business and in a different field as well. Um, and that's how I've always approached it. But as a policymaker, I have to consider, okay, not everybody has the information that was available to me. Um, and they know that those folks are out there, right? There's kind of like the, the theoretical, like if the market's just doing what we want it to do, everything will work out. And then there's like a real world situation, which involves a lot of manipulation, a lot of taking advantage of people and frankly on their desperation. And that's the part that I, I kind of have to wrap my head around when we talk about how, how are we going to legislate this thing. So I think it's both hands, right? Um, and I think you're right that we'll, we'll reach a point where we'll just say, like, well, you know, if you're if you're going to say that I have to hire people or tell them everything and let them be independent, then maybe maybe they will go another way. Um, but in any case, it can't keep on like this, right? It can't keep on like this. Too many people are working themselves to the bone just to stay alive, and it's not acceptable anymore. So. Uh, thank you, everyone. I'm going to hand it up to Steve. I think we're wrapping it up. Do you please? I have a, a clipboard here on the edge. I'll make sure it makes the rounds and sign up for my alert so that so that you stay in touch as we go along. Here, we are going to run more legislation. Uh, we'll get this thing done. I want to thank everybody for coming. Um, you guys, we could keep this going for a while. I know everybody's getting a little hungry. And uh, in the, on the other room, we had more people than in this room. So at this point, everybody needs some lunch. I know, but I think that. Have we caught, have we solved everything? Have we caught everything? No. But I think that we addressed a lot here today. And I think that the showing of some of these, I mean, if we didn't really lay it out in the beginning, there's representation from so many states here today. Countries. You know, Canada here, many people from Canada from the move scene. So, I mean, people flew in for this, for the, the yesterday's event and today's. I mean, this is... This is a big deal. This isn't just a few people gathering in Denver trying to figure out what's wrong with the city. There's something going on with these apps, and there's not a market that's immune to it. And uh, the bottom line is, something has to be done. And I know that uh, all, like I think was said earlier, you know, like I think Stephanie said, I don't always agree with you. I don't always agree with Steve. I don't always agree with uh, Sergio. Um, you know, but hey. But we're all kind of in the same swing of it. Like, we had this work for us before. It can't work. Like, get it back together, guys. And, you know, if Uber, if you just claim your first profit, it won't work. Swing the pendulum back. Start, start working on getting the drivers paid again. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, the, the story that was told by these two in the back, like, that was ridiculous. Like, some guy didn't see a, a lift worker for the entire weekend? Come on. I mean, I don't know how many people are still doing rideshare and whatnot. That's, that just blows my mind because I used to, when I was doing rideshare for many years, I turned down off. To, I mean, it was like DoorDash. There were just orders at the border. I mean, I just would not take them. But here's the bottom line is that 
Um, we still have a long way to go, but this I think this was a great show. I think this was a great showing of people, and I'm glad everybody stuck around. And uh, thank all of you for coming, and uh, let's go get some lunch. And thank everybody for watching online. And please share this out. Everybody that's here that's a content creator, please, we're going to do a meet and greet for like the next hour and a half. We'll be here having some drinks, um, having some food, having some fun. Please keep your streams going, because um, in the other room, they've got conversations going on. So let's, let's, let's get everything recorded. We can, let's get it all out there. And uh, with that said, I want to thank everybody. And uh, Pedro, a good point. I want to thank everybody that showed up. Company when I see we got Kara, we got Middleton, Tech, Furies, Apps, we got Moves, we got Alice from Curry. <clears throat> These companies, you know, if you notice, they're not the ones that we're complaining about. We invited ones that actually treat us good, you know. And that's, I mean, we'll get to a point where maybe we can invite the other ones, but they're not welcome here. Right now. So until they are, we're gonna we're gonna call it. So. Yeah, so thank you, everybody.